Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message from the Nichols Road Campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Good morning. Um, Just a few weeks ago, someone in this congregation, I won't mention who, uh, gave their offering, but in the offering they put an an extra amount of money with a note. Uh, I don't process the offering, so I don't see the offerings, but the note said, uh, buy Pastor Cameron a steak dinner. (laughs) And so the people that were processing the offering, of course, sent me that note, and I thought, wow, that really blesses me, that, that this person was thinking of me and, and wanted to do something just to bless me. And I got that several days, you know, in the middle of the week, so it was like a, a midweek. Oh, wow, that felt really good. <clears throat> um, and there's a connection <clears throat> between uh, giving and, and, and the impact it has on other people. And Paul talks about this in this section, that's why I'm referring to this. Um, there's been a few times that I've gone to minister at churches, and you know, if you're not in ministry, you don't know this, but generally you go and minister, and you don't, you don't have a fee, um, uh, you just go and minister, and you know, it's pretty much assumed that they're going to give you some money, <laughs> you know, and there's this kind of like ritual that the pastor comes up and kind of gives you a little card, and you go, oh, thank you, and you, you, open, you take it. Sometimes I wait until I get home, and I'm like, I pray. I'm like, let it grow, Lord. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and you open it up, and you never know what's going to be inside. And so um, it was just a few months ago I went to a church, and, you know, I spent a lot of time, effort. And when I'm on ministry trip, I'm 24-7, while I'm, on trip, I'm on. I'm in ministry mode, and uh, everything was done, and they never gave me an envelope. Oh well, they'll mail me something. Never came. This has happened a number of times, and so you go. Well, they probably just forgot. But you know, what would you be thinking? Oh, maybe I blew it. Well, maybe I did. Maybe I said something bad. I, I don't know. I, th- I thought it did okay. Maybe, maybe it wasn't valuable to them. How would you feel? How would you feel if you went to work and your paycheck just depended on whether or not the owner decided he's going to give you a paycheck? But how you performed the next time you went to work could not be based on whether or not they gave you a paycheck. That's ministry, folks. The biggest church I ever ministered to was a church of 8,000. The video screen that was behind me was about the size of that wall. LED video screen. I didn't know it until afterwards that when I was, while I was preaching, they were putting up images that related to my sermon. Like they had a really spot on graphics guy because he didn't know what I was preaching. I don't know how he did it. I, I, I watched it, a clip of it afterwards. I'm like, wow. I'd mention something, and then they'd throw up a picture of that thing seen from the Bible or something like that. It was really cool. So you think, you know, this is a big church. They're probably going to give me something. The pastor came up after the service very formally and gave me a coffee cup with a pen with the name of their church on it. I was like, oh, thank you so much. God bless you. 
I don't think I'll go back. <laughs> it was a lot of stress to preach in front of thousands of people. Two services. Yeah. And so there's a connection between our giving and how we value what we're receiving. Right? And that's what Paul talks about here in this part of Philippians, the closing uh, part of Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though surely you did care, but you lacked opportunities. Talking about the care that they expressed when they sent them, when uh, they sent them <coughs> a financial gift. And Paul is returning to this theme of joy. He said he rejoiced. He was overjoyed, or the message translates it, that I, I'm glad in God, far happier than you could even guess, ever guess. Why? Because of their gift triggered that in him. It made him conscious of their appreciation for his service, his ministry for him, because he had poured out and invested into them. And what they had sent while he was in prison was a care package. We don't know what was in there, but certainly there was money, uh, probably food, <clears throat> clothing, other necessities. The focus that Paul's responding to was not his need or what he was given. The focus was on the care and the generosity that it, they uh, were uh, demonstrating. All right? And saints, this is in the Bible for a reason. Because you know what? We do church whether you give or not. And the doors are open. But for your benefit, we give you the opportunity to invest. <clears throat> Paul goes on and says, not that he's speaking about his own needs, uh, because he has learned in whatever state he is in to be content. Uh, verse 12, it says, I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. One of the most quoted and misquoted <laughs> verses in Scripture. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But let's look at the context of what he's talking about there. In the New Living Translation, it's, it puts it this way. <clears throat> Same verses, just different translation. Not that I was ever in need, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. Have you learned that? I'm still learning it. I'm content with whatever I have or don't have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. That's the secret. Or in the uh, message, Paul goes, Actually, I don't have a sense of needing anything personally. I've learned by now to be quite content whatever my circumstances. I'm just as happy with little as with much. 
or with much as with little. I've found the recipe for being happy, whether full or hungry, hands full or hands empty. Whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. Wow. And so the idea of I can do all things through Christ is that we can endure whatever state we're in. You know, far from being a statement that Christians are invincible or able to accomplish any grand achievement, this verse is about being content in every circumstance. Whether you have everything you need or whether you have nothing whatsoever and you don't know where you're going to make, how, how you're going to make ends meet, you can still be content. Paul had had everything taken away. He was, uh, most historians <clears throat> uh, uh, believe that early in his ministry, he, he had lost, uh, he, he was poor, but then I, I read a biography about him, and they think that he, uh, he inherited some money because his lifestyle changed later in his ministry. And so there were times where he actually was wealthy, and there were times where he was poor. In this situation, he was sitting in a prison cell with nothing. But he was content. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me is the secret. It's the recipe that whatever you're going through, whether you got a job that you love or a job that you hate, whether you got a car that actually works, sometimes, you know, a brand new car that you've always dreamed of, possessions, prosperity, position, poverty. Those things should not affect our ability to be Christ-like, to be content, and to be filled with joy. Right? And true freedom is being free from the bondage of possessions and materialism. That, you know, it doesn't mean that you can't have it. Actually, God's will is that you have more than enough, that you have a, an abundance to give out of. He wants you to live richly. But we can't uh, be uh, bound to an idol of comfort and prosperity. And we have to view our lives uh, 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 apart from the lens of the culture we live in. And that's the most difficult thing. And that's the thing I appreciate most about traveling, especially to poor countries. The place where I go uh, in Mexico is very, very, very poor. People living on the streets. <clears throat> no one stands in, in Mexico and just asks for money like they do here. They don't sit there with a sign, God bless you, I'm hungry. Seriously. <clears throat> They are the hardest working people in the city. There's this one girl in Reynosa. I was talking to Donna Jackie about it and Josh. She does the uh, hula, hula hoop. <laughs> like every time I've been there, she's at the same intersection. And I'm like, she's giving it all. Like she's a performer. And it's like 110 degrees with 80% humidity. And she's out there throwing the thing up and dancing all around. I'm like, I want to give her money because she's working so hard. 
I've never had the chance because she's like in the middle of the intersection and I'm not driving and maybe I'll send some money with her. Drop a hundred dollars in her offering. Like, That'll blow her mind. <laughs> and they do it for a few pesos. <clears throat> I don't know whether she's content or not, but we need to break free of the mentality of materialism that we're locked into and realize that I can do all things through Christ. I can be filled with joy and I can be content uh, apart from my living conditions. The secret, the recipe is I can do this through Christ. Christ inside me enables me to endure whatever's outside of me. Christ in me enables me to endure whatever's outside. Whether it's riches, fame, uh, people being nice to me, or poverty, uh, uh, being overlooked, people being mean to me. It doesn't matter. Because what's inside is greater than what's outside. And that's what we're called to. You know, how, do we, how do we apply this in our lives in our day? Folks, if you don't translate Scripture into your daily lives, you're missing the whole point of Christianity and church. You need to, to, to take this home and, and say, how can I demonstrate contentment and joyfulness uh, regardless of my external circumstances? Because my internal circumstance is that Jesus is in me. And regardless of what's going on outside of me, I know who I am in Christ, and I know that Christ is in me and I can, do all, I can endure anything that the world throws at me with joyfulness. So joyful you can't even imagine, as Paul said, <clears throat> in whatever state we are. <clears throat> Maybe we have to work next to a flaming liberal and listen to them go on and on. Or, on the other side, a right-wing extremist. <clears throat> right? Or maybe the government is left or right, and we have to endure that. How do you respond? Are you equally joyful, regardless of who's in office? Content and at peace, knowing that Jesus is on the throne? I've seen a lot of people's joy stolen in the last year and a half because of what the government's doing. I'm like, it doesn't matter. And some people get mad when I say that. Like, it really doesn't matter. Whatever they do, they're going to be gone in our country in a few years. Right? Worst case scenario, I've got to live with this for, you know, for me, maybe 30 or 40 years probably more like 10 or 20, <laughs> then I go to heaven. Am I concerned about my country? Yeah, I want the best. Okay, But I'm not going to let them get under my skin, whether they're too far to the right or too far to the left and, and, or too far in the middle. <laughs> Somebody say amen. <laughs> Listen, whatever makes us discontent or lose our joy... It reveals the area in our lives where Christ 
is not yet in us. Boom. So that's a good word there. So if you're just all angry about politics, well, maybe Jesus isn't on the throne in your political mind. If you're unhappy in the workplace, maybe because you haven't realized that you're actually there to work for Jesus. And your employer or manager, good or bad, is just someone that Jesus wants you to witness to. You're on a temporary assignment to your, uh, by your Lord. Do well in it. All right, do you see this? I tell you, this is a secret. When you learn this, this gives you the ability to actually make changes in your life. And so where you're discontent, where you're angry, where you're uh, unsettled, where you're nervous, where you're anxious, those are indicator lights in your spirit to show where you need more of Jesus. Because if Jesus is there, you'll have peace. You'll have contentment. You'll have uh, uh, wisdom. You'll know how to respond in a way that actually makes it better. Come on, saints. That's what we're called to. You know, we may have overcome a lot of overt sins. Praise God for that. But if there's an area in our life... uh, If there is yet an area that is a bigger influence in our lives than Christ, in that area, we need to be evangelized. You need to preach to yourself. Preach to the the part of you that that gets anxious about money or finances. Preach to the part of you that's that's envious of, of people that have more or judgmental of people who have less. Are you hearing me? Preach to that part and say, Jesus is Lord evangelize that because make Jesus bigger in that aspect of your life until you just walk in a place of joy and confidence and assurance to where you're actually able to bring about godly change. You know, the ultimate mission is to change the world through the influence of the gospel. We are to be agents of change to make a difference, but you can't do that if you're angry and mean and discontent all right, because that's not where God comes from. You need to face the uh, 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 things in the world that are not in alignment with God's word and God's truth and God's will with joy, contentment, and peace and confidence in the lordship of Christ that through the influence he wants to work through you, you can change the government, you can change society, you can change uh, uh, the workplace. And this is the secret. This is how Paul was able to exert influence from a prison cell so that within a few hundred years of his life, the entire Roman Empire accepted Christianity as not only as legitimate, but the emperor got saved and it became the religion and actually became a tool to spread the gospel. Think of it! The influence that Paul had in his life. The enemy is uh, content. Listen, the enemy's perfectly happy to have just a little bit of a hold on your life. Because Jesus is not content until you're fully his and he is fully Lord. So if the enemy can just have a little bit of a grasp on one area of your life, to like, <laughs> it'll trip you up enough 
to prevent you from being all that Christ wants you to be. But Jesus demands 100%. Why? Because he gave 100%. He's Lord of your life. It should be evident in your life. Going on, verse 14. Nevertheless, you've done well that you shared in my distress and gave me a steak dinner. <laughs> now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For um, even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my, nece my necessities. <clears throat> Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. In other words, after he had left uh, the church in uh, Philippi, you know, they not only met his needs while he was there, but he went to the next church and they kept sending him honorarium checks. <laughs> How'd you like that, Dennis? <laughs> you know, uh, because they had um, this concern. And he's saying, you know, I'm not after the gift. I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. The Philippians shared in Paul's distress in, in his ministry as well. And this word shared is, was a common business term. And he likely was using business terminology because the Philippian congregation probably had business people in. They, they understood it was a regular term. Um, <clears throat> and uh, he's appealing to their business sense. And it's important that we demonstrate our faith in the workplace. Actually, it's more important than how we demonstrate our faith in church. Right? The call to follow Christ uh, is a call out of worldliness, but it's not a call out of the world. Right? And so there's, I think Paul was being intentional when he starts referring to marketplace terminology, how they're using their finances. Uh, the, actually, this whole part of the scriptures is loaded with different terms that uh, were commonly used in business. And so he's, he's appealing to that part of their thinking. And, he's, and we need to realize that how we live our calling in the world is more important. I mean, it's important that you're here, that you're volunteer at church. Uh, but you know what? You're at church at most couple hundred hours hopefully a year right 52 weeks in a year you come to church two hours a week that's only 104 hours so if you volunteer another two hours everybody volunteer two hours and attend services two hours here <coughs> that'd be great that's still only like 400 hours how many hours are you in work What's that? 2,088. Is that 40 hours a week? Yeah. This guy only works 40 hours a week. And that accounts for your time off? <laughs> Listen. Some of you calculate how many hours you work, and, and this guy's got a good job. Because, <laughs> you know, if you work 50 hours a week, 50 times 50 is what? Huh? 50 hours times 52 hours is always going to... 
I don't have my calculator. That's how bad I am at math. So it's thousands of hours. I thought it was like 5,000. You know, pastors exaggerate with numbers. It's part of our calling. Okay, the point is, you spend hundreds of hours in church, you spend thousands of hours in the workplace. How you represent Jesus at work, uh, in, your, in your business, in your schooling, in your life, man, that's so important, okay? <clears throat> and the word share there is the word that we get, uh, is the same word from which we get the word fellowship, koinonia, it's a variant of the word koinonia. Uh, and it's most often translated fellowship. But he's using it, he says, you shared. And uh, in, in, in their day, that was, in, as in our day, if you own shares, how many, how many wish you'd bought a, a, a thousand shares of Amazon, you know, when, you know, 20 years ago, or Apple, right? I could have done that, except I didn't have the money even at a dollar a share, <laughs> Right? It's the same word in English that we use. It's, it's part ownership. And so they shared, they had part ownership in Paul's ministry and his life and in the gospel. And so they were sending their support out of that, that idea. The world economy is based on buying and selling. Kingdom economy is based on giving and receiving. Buying and selling is contract, contractual. Uh, uh, giving and receiving is covenantal. So if you buy something and it doesn't stand up to the, uh, what you thought you were going to buy, you return it. And maybe you even are angry about it or you post an online you know, review. They were lousy, right? Because they didn't meet my expectation. But if you give and receive, it's like you just, you, you know, the motivation for their giving, <clears throat> uh, let me get it on was not dependent on what they were getting out of it, all right? Uh, the, the motivation for giving was not even dependent on Paul's need. It was something more meaningful. It was their commitment and their relationship, their investment in the mission, all right? Because they knew what Paul was doing was worth it. And so they were willing to invest into it. They were willing to put their share into it. And, and he says, <clears throat> the fruit that abounds uh, uh, to your account, that's another business term that emphasizes that the reward, there is a reward for investing in the mission of the gospel. And there will be fruit that will accumulate or accrue in your account. It's like there's a heavenly accounting system that keeps account that as you invest, there will be a reward. I believe we get rewards in this life, but I believe that ultimately we're looking for the reward that will come in the next life. And the whole idea here is, are you giving to or just giving from, <clears throat> right? There's an endless list of good reasons, good things to give to, right? You can never run out of that. Right? There's plenty of needs in the world to give to. <clears throat> but what's being talked about here is where the Philippians were giving from. It was from their investment. Are you hearing me? It wasn't just to meet Paul's needs, but it was out of the care, concern, and the commitment they had in Paul's ministry and the ministry of the gospel. 
their investment in, in, in that. <clears throat> they were basing their economic decisions on the kingdom principles of giving and receiving and not buying and selling. And so <clears throat> how much we give, listen up, folks. I don't talk about giving much. I'm only talking about it now because it's Philippians. We're going through the book of Philippians. All right. How much we give, how consistently we give, uh, and to whom we give reveals what's in us, where we're invested, what we value. It just does. It really does. And you need to sort this out with God and begin to demonstrate that you're invested. You're not just giving to, to, to something because you get. Oh, it was a good service, so I'll give a good offering. Or, you know, you know, you know I, I'm not really sure. I, no, you give because you're committed to the gospel. Right? Not just because you get something out of it. <clears throat> Indeed, Paul says, I have all and abound. I'm full, having received from Epaphroditus the things that you sent, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, and pleasing to God. I love that here the Old Testament image of sacrifice is brought in and uh, if you remember, every day there were uh, offerings that went up. And that sweet-smelling aroma, have you ever showed up at somebody's place or maybe a, a, a restaurant that does uh, grill grilling? Whether they grill on an open fire? Does that smell good? Have you ever go to Dennis's house? <laughs> Dennis is like the grill master. I had him over, I was going to cook steak, and he came over and... He, and he, He's like, let me do that. I'm like, you're the dude, man. You know how to do it. I only know how to burn steaks. <laughs> Smells good, doesn't it? The aroma. And that's what the aroma around the temple was constantly. They were constantly offering up these sacrifices. And you may not know this, but most of the offerings that were burned on the sacrifice were actually eaten by the people who offered them in the temple. Okay. There were some whole burnt offerings that were just completely burned, okay? But most offerings, you actually, they cooked them. And then part of the worship was eating what was offered to the Lord as part of the fellowship. Right? That's a whole other sermon. <clears throat> New Testament donations here are equated with Old Testament sacrifices as genuine forms of worship, acceptable and well-pleasing to God. That's the big point. This is a biblical connection between, in the Old Testament, they would bring animals and grain and oil and throw it on a fire. In the New Testament, you give money to ministers. Is that hard to understand? Is it hard to do? Consistently? Yeah, it's not easy, but we do it. We give because we're committed and it's an act of worship. What, what are we giving from? Worship was the declaration of the worthiness of God. And so we worship with songs, and we might sing about God's goodness, but our giving demonstrates it on a much greater level, how we really value God and his kingdom. Jesus, I love this story from the life of Jesus. Jesus was in the temple watching the rich people drop their gifts. This was they, were, they also received financial offerings <clears throat> uh, in, in the collection box. Now, I really love that Jesus was watching this. 
So we don't pass a basket anymore. So he's watching that uh, little box on the wall. He's watching how you set up your bill pay. Did you change it to the P.O. box, by the way? How many got the email? All right. So if you mail offerings, to, we switched it to a post office box for various reasons. So he, he watches that. I don't. You don't like that? Talk to Jesus about it. And he says, then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than the rest of them. For they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. How much you give is not based on how much you make. It's not based on the dollar amount that you give. It's based on where you're giving from. Is this an act of worship that expresses how much I value? that I'm really investing into the kingdom? Or are you given the minimum? Or are you given, eh, I get, I get $10 in my pocket, I'll give $10. God doesn't want a tip. He wants a tithe. That's the old pastor talk. <clears throat> okay, so I'm grateful when you give to the church. I love it. I'll take a tip. <laughs> well, God's seeking is, is ultimately um, our worship, that we give from the heart of worship. And uh, when we do that, when we're giving from that and dedicated to him, we'll be giving our best. And that's really what we all want to do, is to give our best. And Paul continues, says, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be, to the gl be glory forever and ever Amen. <clears throat> so don't just merely give to a church, a missionary, or, or, or a minister. Give to God, and it promises you God's going to take care of your need. All right? You're, as your giving is directed Godward, then your expectation of getting your needs met is also Godward. You're not looking to me to have your needs met. All right, you give to the church, the church will meet some needs, but ultimately you're depending, it's a declaration that you're declaring your dependence on him, on God to meet your needs. And you're not looking for something specific in return. You're giving regardless of what you get in return. You know, that's the same thing with our salvation, that we give our broken, uh, sin, corrupted lives to Jesus. And in return, he gives us everlasting life and wholeness. It's a bargain, guys. It's a bargain. And so uh, what we seek is credit to your account. And then, you know, he said amen, and then he keeps talking. Because <clears throat> he's a good preacher, you know. It's like, that was a close, and here's another close. It says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus, the brethren who are with me greet you, all the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And I could have skipped over this, but I, I couldn't because I just, God wouldn't let me. Because Paul gets a little political here. And if you don't think this is political, it's because you weren't living in the first century. Okay? Because when Paul says, <clears throat> uh, 
especially those who are of Caesar's household. He's saying the people in Caesar's party, the people on Caesar's side, it was likely actual family members. The Greek word is oikos, which means usually refers to a person's immediate family. So it, it generally is understood as people got saved that were part of Caesar's family through Paul's ministry. And they stayed in Caesar's house. And they continued being part of Caesar's household. Isn't that interesting? Caesar was the reason Paul was in prison. Caesar was persecuting the church. Caesar was the enemy. Why didn't those Christians leave Caesar's house? Were they bad Christians? What did Paul call them? The saints who are in Caesar's household send your greetings. I think he's pointing out that there were Christians that stayed there, even while Paul was suffering and in prison because of the corruption in the political system. There were people part of that political system that were serving Jesus, and he recognized it. All right? We may dis disagree with someone's political affiliations, and we can still see them as saints. We can still fellowship with them. And that's part of living in the grace of our Lord Jesus. So if I haven't upset some of you or all of you in this sermon, you probably weren't listening. <laughs> but next, this is the end of the series, so it's going to get better. Next week, we got the Jones, and they're going to do a great job and cheer you up. Bill, could you close this?